The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. Some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Specs with Walt Denham. How are you? Good, thanks, Dave. Good. How are you? Good, good. And congratulations on your recent win at Oshkosh. Thank you. Thank um, you. Tell us about the mosquito. Uh, well, um, shall I start from the beginning? Yeah, might as well. So this particular uh, mosquito uh, was built towards the end of um, you know the war. I never saw any real service that went to an operational training unit. Um, where they were training for coastal command operations and uh, uh, it's been a few months there before being retired and sent to maintenance units like most of them did at the end of the war. Yep. And then uh, it became one of the aeroplanes that the RNZAF uh, purchased when, the, when they got the big shipment of mosquitoes in sort of 48 and onwards. Yep. Um, this was one of the one of the batch that came down to New Zealand. 
you know, in around 48, 49. Um, and then got absorbed into 75 Squadron or at least 75 Squadron Reserve aeroplanes. Um, but very little sort of information as to what it did with 75 Squadron, whether it actually was one of the line aeroplanes or just one of the backup machines. It's difficult to know. Yeah, because a lot of them stayed in the hangar for the whole Yeah, yeah, well, our, uh, you know, they, they bought 80 plus. I, can't, I don't know the exact number, and most of them made it down here. But then they really only operated about 20 of them. Right, yeah. So the other 60-odd were either in long-term, never got used storage, or in sort of backup kind of situations where they were probably kept airworthy but never actually got flown. Yeah. Um, and it's most likely that it was one of those. So anyway, it ended up in Tyree. Yep. Um, once the Air Force had finished with them and it and a bunch of others were just in, in um, airworthy but outside storage at Tyree. Uh, and then this company in the States who were looking to sort of expand their aerial survey operations did a deal with the Government Stores Board to buy six of them, I think. Uh, and a few of them, I think uh, f four, I think, were flown... From we got airworthy again down in Tyree and flown up to Palmerston North Airport, with a view to being tanked up and prepared to ship out to the to the U.S. to this uh, to this outfit in California. And I think Bob Scott flew them up from Tyree, and then uh, once they were at um, uh, Palmerston North, they'd, there was uh, uh, the Rolf family. Um, I'm trying to think of can't think of Mr. Rolf's first name but anyway Bill Rolf's dad um, he uh, uh, his company which was based at Palmerston North at the time was was the sort of intermediary between uh, the government and this American outfit yep. and uh, the work preparing them for for uh, the long range ferry to the US was done at Palmerston North Milton. and um, uh Bill Rolf actually helped with that process and uh, they sent down an engineer come pilot guy from the US who worked with them as well and they tanked it up, test flew it, got it all ready to go. Um, and then uh, uh, they were registered uh, on the New Zealand register at that time, so they were out of their military and onto the New Zealand register. Yep. So this one was registered Bravo Charlie Victor yep. uh, and the others were all either B or you know BC something. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, um, but before it left, uh, it actually got taken off the New Zealand register and put on the US register and left the country actually as a US registered aeroplane uh, and yeah, headed, headed up to California in 54, I think. And that was the last Mosquito to fly in New Zealand until KA114 flew... Um yeah. In, in 2012. Yeah, I would say so because the government stepped in and prevented any further sales. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because they were, there was the story goes that there was some concern that they were being used for covert operations in South America or yeah. whatever. I mean, I I don't really know what the actual story was, but um, but anyway, they weren't able to complete the the sale, and that wasn't good for for the for um, the Rolf family and the company down in Palmston because they were that obviously invested money yeah uh, but the sales couldn't go through so it was the only one to to escape the the <laughs> the, uh, the um, southern hemisphere and 
ended up in California. But then the company that had bought them was on pretty shaky ground and the guy that was in charge of it all was a, had been involved in a few underhand deals to get to the point where he got to. And it got the airplane itself got embroiled uh, in a legal battle. Um, the company that was doing the survey work lost another airplane, a B-35, in, a, in an accident. The pilot was killed and the insurance company paid out on this accident, but then subsequently it was overturned and they were found that the operator of the airplane was culpable in the accident. Oh. And uh, the insurance company effectively seized PZ-474 or November 9909 Foxtrot it was by then. Um, they seized that airplane as part of sort of uh, trying to get their money back effectively they took the assets of that company and uh, the airplane ended up parked up at Whiteman Field which is up near Burbank in, in sort of northern LA yep. uh, and it was just parked there the finance company ultimately went bust as well um, and the airplane just was abandoned yep. and the airport company who owned it you know who, who for whom it was supposed to be parking charges ended up taking ownership of it in lieu of the unpaid parking charges. And then in the 70s, um, Ed Maloney from Planes of Fame showed an interest in it and they were going to do a deal to take it off the hands of the airport company and move it out to the museum at Chino. But, um, and they started to do some work on preparing it to ship, but I don't know whether why, but that deal fell through and the museum didn't carry on with the acquisition. And then the guy, Merizan, Jim Merrison, who was an A4 pilot for the Marines in the States, he'd taken a, a liking to mosquitoes and thought there was a possibility of getting them flying or whatever. Uh, so he picked it up and uh, took it and had it in storage in various places right up until 2013 when we started to do the deal with Rod Lewis to uh, acquire a project for him and get another, get another, mos you know, get an aeroplane flying for him, a mosquito. So, you know, he and I had been talking about what we could do next for him because we'd not long finished the P-40. Yep. And he'd actually been in discussions with Jerry Yagan about buying the mosquito off him at one point, but Jerry didn't want to sell it in the end. Yep. Uh, so he got a bit excited about mosquitoes, and so it seemed natural that we should just uh, build him another one. Right. So, yeah, we did the deal th with... Um, Simon Brown from Platinum Fighter Sales helped us do the deal with Jim Merrison to purchase the project off him. And by then, it had, he dismantled it almost completely and had most of the components stored in a 44 container off the airfield at Chino. But the wing and uh, engines and uh, other bits and pieces were sort of an outside storage at Chino, and a lot of people that had been to Chino had seen this wing section outside and the engines on a stand. So um, yeah, it, it had rotted. It, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of the yeah the wing was you know down to the skeleton mostly. It still had one, one side had been stripped of all the firewall and the cell and everything, but the other side still had its uh, landing gear in it and firewall and oil tank and stuff on one side. So Jim's idea was that he would restore the stuff from one side and leave the other side sort of more or less intact. So when Derek Smith and I got up there to pull it all apart, we really only had to strip down one side of the wing, okay. pull the firewall and, and engine structure and what have you off. And uh, uh, 
pack it in the container along with all the other stuff that Jim already had in the container and ship it down here. So it arrived here in February 2014, something like that. Yep. Uh, and the job began um, fixing it up. Yeah, I remember when it arrived and there's a pile of goodies and <laughs> it was like quite yeah. exciting that it's going to be the third mosquito because you yeah. were doing the second one at the time. Yeah, well that's right. The second one was still here and being worked on. In fact, it still had two years to run. So um, the woodwork, of course, um, we uh, have always had to, you know, been par partnered with Glenn Powell and Mosquito Aircraft Restoration in Drury there. So Glenn uh, was obviously given the job of building the fuselage and so he and his guys cracked on and got a fuselage built f for it yep. and in order to build a fuselage you have to have lots of the metal components that attach to it and incorporated into the process while you're building the woodwork so you know we we got straight on and grabbed all the bits and pieces that came with the project that needed to go into the woodwork job and sent all that up to him and uh, yeah so we got the fuselage back down here and I guess 2015 I would say um, and then uh, and then we built the wing ourselves, and uh, um, that sort of went on at the same time as the fuselage work. I mean, originally Glenn did all the work himself, but it, it took quite a long time to do because you've got to build the fuselage first and then get onto the wing. So we sort of tried to share the burden of that. Yeah. Uh, and then, so basically, all the woodwork was finished by sometime in 2017, I think, and uh, we had you know, made a good good inroads into the components and stuff and all started to come together. The engines, which original engines which are still with it, were still on their engine mounts and hadn't been never been removed. Still right. had the most of the cowlings on it. So the the propeller spinners and the side cowls had been souvenired by a guy on the airfield at Whiteman. Uh, and we found out through a contact of Simon Brown's um, that uh, these spinners and side cowls were or adornments on the wall of a little tea hanger at Whiteman Field. So we went and tracked this guy down, <laughs> and uh, you know he was uh, he was well into his 80s and uh, had a a, um, a little tea hanger there and an aeroplane in it. Yeah. So anyway, we did a deal with him to give him great wads of cash for his <laughs> for the stuff that he'd souvenired. Um, because you know you could take spinners and sidecars off just with a screwdriver. You know yeah. you didn't need any. And and for all intents and purposes, that airplane was going to the scrap heap. It was never going to fly again. Yeah. But they looked cool on his wall. So, but anyway, we got them, which was good. He got a nice chunk of money, and um, uh, we added those into the project at, up there. And while we're up there, we pulled the engines off the engine. You know, we, we pulled the cowlings and all the sort of airframe parts off the engines but they were still on their engine mounts and Jose Flores from Vintage V12s drove down from THP with his big trailer and we loaded the motors on straight away and so they headed off up to up to the engine shop right. so we didn't bring them down yeah. um, and uh, he took the engines out of the engine mounts uh, up in his shop and then brought the engine mounts and everything back down to back down to uh, Chino all in a space of a couple of days while we were stripping the wing and loading the container so right. he kept the engines but he gave everything else back to us and we loaded it all on the big 40 footer and I brought it all down yeah so then began the process of uh, of finding the missing bits because there's quite a bit missing so you know all these projects you know you sort of think oh oh well you know you're doing your third mosquito it must be pretty easy by now yeah. and a lot of it is a lot easier simply because you've got the jig or the drawing or the whatever on the shelf yeah. 
but no no two projects are missing the same stuff right. and you know the, uh, Jerry Yagen's airplane that we did at the beginning it didn't have any engine installations but it had um, it had good wings and good fuselage componentry but nothing from firewall engine mount uh, and uh, uh, then then Paul Allen's aeroplane was missing one complete engine from one side because the wing had been chopped in half to go on the wall and they'd lost right. all that stuff but yeah. it had all the other gubbins the fuselage was just as intact as you could get and then this one had all its engines but lots of other bits and pieces missing because they'd been souvenired or yeah. robbed or gone yeah. gone west so strengths in different areas you know um, and that means that you know, you're not always chasing the same bits you know pieces that you had on one and missing on another and yeah. so forth but plus so far we've done three different types although they're all the same basic mosquito the first one was a Canadian built airplane mm -hmm. uh, a fighter bomber six just like um, this last one but because it was Canadian it had different um, electrical system different uh, instrument systems all North American systems so you know electrical right. plugs and switches and and engine instruments and that kind of stuff for all American source so the panels quite a bit different and the wiring looms different um, and then uh, and some of the bearings were different as well on the Canadian one and then the middle one was a trainer so completely different in the cockpit but but British uh, and then this last one was the British fighter bomber so had the direct reading instruments and British switches and what have you so differences there as well yep. um, which just makes it more interesting really in a way you, you know we're looking for different stuff to do um, but it all came together pretty well um, and then Rod and I were trying to figure out what kind of paint scheme he liked and you know he had ideas that uh, it should be um, you know similar to Jerry's but um, I told him about its kind of um, coastal command history and the fact that it was a D-Day 75 year celebration and did he like invasion stripes and if he did well then that's good because maybe we could paint it in the coastal command paint scheme and uh, it was a coastal command training airplane for a little while uh, and if you did put it in a coastal command scheme well then we could hang rockets on it quite um, legitimately yep. and that would make it look you know even even more kind of unique so he bought into that idea and uh, we rendered up a a uh, you know a digital sort of likeness of what the paint scheme would look like and send it send them off a bunch of three view drawings of it and what have you yep. and some nice um, isometric you know in flight photos of what it would look like painted up in the scheme and anyway he liked it so that's good and uh, off we went we had to paint it here ourselves because the paint shop on the airfield doesn't exist anymore so we kind of sealed off a section of the hangar with big sheets of plastic and and Russell Jenkins and, a, and uh, another painter guy we got on board um, basically painted it here in the shop and we were pretty nervous about painting it because it's always a challenge you know and unless you're, unless you're a full-time paint shop you don't have the best sort of environment but pretty happy with the way it turned out yeah and we we made it as flat as we could get the paint to be and that that's quite a challenge too because you know paint the, the paint experts in the world are all trying to make paints glossier and mm. fancier but luckily there's been a bit of a move in the automotive industry to have satin or flat finished vehicles so it's a bit easier now to get flat paint in that modern product but with a flat dull 
kind of World War Two looking finish. So, so the the paint product is an automotive paint, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, right. it's automotive paint. Okay. So it's just a, what they call two K. So it's a polyurethane enamel. Yeah. But you know, it's normally um, formulated to to have the maximum amount of shine. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but uh, they have agents that flatting additives that you can add into it to make it go flat. And uh, we end up putting a fair bit of that in, but it came out good. And uh, you know, it, I think it makes a big difference to the impact of seeing it. You know, especially at a show like Oshkosh, where there's any number of unbelievably shiny-looking Mustangs and other sort of aeroplanes, and post-war aeroplanes are all shiny. Yep. You turn up with a really dull, flat, new, clean paint scheme, and it, it's quite. You know, it is quite stunning when you see it uh, in the flesh. And while it's going to be a challenge to look after in the long run, because every time you touch it, you leave a thumbprint or, yeah. you know, it leaks a bit of oil and it's just, they all leak oil, um, that makes it a bit harder uh, to keep on top of. But uh, while it's new and clean, it, it does look really, really good. It also stands out uh, as completely different from the other two and from any other warbird really, apart from maybe the firefly, in that the colours yeah. are quite different. It's a, a specifically coastal command fleet air arm type. Yeah, well, I scheme. yeah, I think that that was pretty much pioneering what became the fleet air arm paint yeah. scheme. You know, yeah. I don't know whether there were any aeroplanes painted in those two colours um, predominantly before the mosquito started to operate for Coastal Command. Yeah. Um, and while the demarcation line has changed, like on the Mosquito, it's down in the bottom quarter of the fuselage, so it changes from the dark sea grey to sky down underneath the cockpit door, for example. Yeah. Um, on, uh, on the fleet air arm paint schemes and post-war paint schemes, they move that line up, and so the side of the fuselage, and like the Sea Fury, for example, yes. which is, it's funny because it's exactly the same paint scheme as the Hawker Sea Fury, yeah. same colours basically, and same, you know, it had stripes, they had stripes on them as well, and that was the first warbird I ever worked on. So, right. going from 1986 when I started on the Sea Fury to, to 2016, you know, which is more years than I like to remember <laughs> 30 years, yeah. um, and here we are doing another paint scheme in exactly the same colours. Right. Of course, the Sea Fury was shiny, but um, uh, yeah, the same scheme. And then you've got the red unusual. spinners too. Right? Yeah, and then and then red spinners, which is which is nice, you know, just to give it a bit of a highlight because that squadron had red spinners. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, I think that the fact that it is a completely different scheme to the other two is good. Mm. I mean, we weren't responsible for in any way for what the paint scheme turned out like on on uh, TV nine five nine, the dual control one in Seattle. They, they chose that paint scheme to yeah. honour a local guy. Uh, but because it's a night intruder paint scheme, because it's black underneath, and yeah. that makes it different to Jerry's one quite a bit because yeah. so much of it's painted black. Um, and they painted it fairly dull as well, which is nice. Um, so, yeah, yeah, three different, three quite different paint schemes. When you think that, you know, I don't know, you know, there was, what, 7,500 mosquitoes and... 7,400 of them would have been painted in RAF camo, just like the first one. Yeah. But we've managed to get That's three quite different paint schemes, so we better do the next one PR blue, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can cover off all the different variants. Um, but no, no, it does look pretty cool, and of course gave us the opportunity to put the rockets on it. Yeah. 
they were a lot of fun researching and we, we had a uh, original rocket rail that Glen Powell had that we um, we were able to duplicate. We extruded some new rocket rail um, uh, aluminium extrusion for uh, for hanging the rockets off and then we had help from the de Havilland Museum and Ian Thirsk and Bob Glaspie up there to uh, give us the dimensions of the original um, of an original uh, 60 pound rocket that they've got yep. and um, we also got the book on them on the, on the, all the armament and it's got basic sort of markings and what have you in there on how they should be marked uh, so yeah they were they were fun to build yeah and okay. now we've seen it flying with it on because we didn't fly it with the rockets on here in New Zealand but um, they've obviously flown it up there and flew it at Oshkosh with them on which is why there's lots of nice photos of it roaring around with rockets on it slows it down a little bit um, and I think it makes the ailerons a bit mushier okay because it sort of tends to um, affect the airflow under the wing where the rockets are and that tur turbulent airflow uh, is what flows over the most effective part of the aileron so yep. it's not quite as responsive on the ailerons as it used to be yep. um, but other than that you know you wouldn't know you had them on okay you can only you can't see them from in the cockpit so oh, right. no, <laughs> no so I guess I, I don't know what it was like if they didn't come off you know if you fired them and not all of them went you wouldn't know until you got back probably that's a good point. I mean, you'd see them fly away, I guess, and be able to count them, but, you know, assuming you were, had time to stay and watch. Watch, yeah. <laughs> you might be avoiding flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have just peeled away and yeah. headed for home. Yeah. So we we didn't get to see it fly very much. It was at three hours in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, uh, Steve Hinton came out from Chino to, as the test pilot, which is unusual, but, but kind of neat for us to have him out here because he's such a such a good guy and and uh, so competent that um, you know we were uh, um, you know happy to host him and Rod came out as well for that process but he didn't want any flying more flying to go on here in New Zealand well unless he was here and Steve was here to fly it of course they got pretty busy schedules so yeah. they, in a way it, it, because it performed fairly you know without a whole lot of problems to start with that kind of almost sealed our fate in a way. If it had had a whole string of issues, um, we might have done more flying with it, but it went real good. So after a few flights, they were off down Queenstown sightseeing and never mind flying the plane. Uh, and then finally we got Rod in it for a quick flight here at the end of its test flying. And uh, and then we pulled it apart and stuck it in the box. So yeah, I only did, only did a handful of flights, but it was enough to kind of shake it down. Right. Uh, and then they had to fly off another 10 hours or something when they got it going in in Texas. So um, four of our guys went up for a month yep. and put it back together for them. And uh, then they flew it up there and obviously flip, flew off the phase one flying that they had to do to get their certificate. And uh, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of issues, a few little things, but nothing much. And yeah, and then she launched off for Oshkosh. Yeah, and uh, that must have been quite a thrill to say oh yeah. yeah yeah well you know I've been putting money aside for uh, to, to fund a trip for the guys to go to Oshkosh and there'd been sort of a few false starts with other airplanes but this was the one where we knew pretty well um, that the timing was right you know got got it flying in, in the States in May and that gave it gave them plenty of time to rate the new pilots and uh, and um, uh, you know get it 
get comfortable with taking it away on a trip to Oshkosh yep. uh, from Texas. So I mean, it's not a hell of a long way, but it's you know, it's, it's, you are going out of the circuit. <laughs> yeah. um, so we thought, you know, it looked like it was going to be good, and Rod was prepared to, uh, to put the money and send it up there. So we, yeah, we decided fairly early on that we would go. Got ended up with uh, nine guys from on eight, eight guys from work here. Uh, some of them had never been to the show before, so we had a wonderful time. Fantastic. Um, we were all camping at, at, on the airfield, more or less. And uh, yeah, so the airplane arrived on Monday night. They got held up with weather around Texas and didn't get there till Monday night, which meant we actually missed the scheduled warbirds in review slot that we had for Monday morning, but I didn't actually mind that so much because we'd only just arrived ourselves and Monday morning straight into it was always going to be a bit tough. But arrived on Monday night, which was good, and um, you know we give it a bit of a clean up and yeah, rolled it out on display. Flew on the Thursday and the Warbird Air Show on Thursday, but didn't do much flying, a little bit. And we went out and did the camera shoot uh, on Thursday morning, uh, and then we were uh, in Warbeds in review on Friday morning, um, which went alright, I think. And then uh, the, oh, the judges came and saw it on Wednesday, I think. Wednesday or yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. They came and saw it on Wednesday, and you never really know what they think. Um, but there was a big contingent of them, and some of them were very enthusiastic about it, yep. and others, you know, weren't even sure what it was made of. Um, but yeah, so that was good. We got the we got the judging out of the way, and then it was safe to go fly, <laughs> go fly it, and get it dirty again. Yeah, um, yeah, and then uh, we had a great sort of week watching it and looking at all the other stuff that's there. Because you know, for anybody that hasn't been, it's it's worth going to uh, sussing out the competition. Yep, um, and then uh, Saturday nights, the kind of gala celebration you could call it, but it was a dinner that yeah. they host and the, they clear out the museum hangar, the uh, museum hangar which is normally where that other mosquito that's up there lives right, yep. and then they have a whole lot of tables and a big stage set up and give out uh, untold awards because everybody seems to get an award for something um, and uh, yeah the final one that they give out is the grand champion World War Two, and you're sort of sitting there nervously waiting to see if your name's, hope your name's not called out beforehand because you don't want to win one of the lesser prizes yeah and then you, you're also sitting there thinking, oh my God, we might not get anything. Um, and uh, but we'd already been given a Phoenix Award, which is an award they they give to a project that's sort of been brought out of the ashes. So the XP82 that was there as well got a Phoenix Award, and so did we because of the level of size of the job. Yeah. Some of the American restorations the airplane flies in, and it gets restored. So they they're not up for Phoenix Awards. But if you if your airplane can fit in a 40 foot container. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and that's what you start with, and uh, you're pretty pretty well, uh, uh, you know, lined up for a Phoenix Award. So yeah, we started off with that. That's early enough in the in the night, and then finally the Grand Champion Prize for World War Two, which seems to be the premium one. Yep. Um, yeah, and we were lucky enough to get it. So that was you know just the icing on the cake for us, really. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and great for the guys to have the you know work compared and judged on that kind of on that in the, on that stage if you like in that forum and for all of them to be there for that yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no great. i think it's it'll be something they'll take them a while to forget so because you've won awards there before with yeah awards. yeah 
Yeah, so we, we also got the Grand Champion Award for Jerry Yagen's Mosquito back in 2015. So that's the only other time we've won the absolute top prize. We've yep. had reserve Grand Champion a couple of other times for the uh, for the P40s. Um, and we got Best Fighter for um, Rod Lewis's Spitfire and Best Transport Aeroplane for the for the repeat, they're the, uh, they're the ones that have been to Oshkosh. So all of the other, all of our planes that have actually been to Oshkosh have come away with an award of one kind or another. Wow, that's, that's either best fighter, best transport, or reserve grand champion. But two mosquitoes have both won uh, the grand champion, which is which is brilliant. And uh, you know, I mean, to be fair, not because they're particularly they're necessarily any better than the other airplanes, or the restorations are any better. I mean, they're, they're equal to, in most cases, but because it's so bit, such a big job, and it's British, and there's lots and lots of opportunity to to fill it full of stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, that Hellcat, for example, that we were up against this year, was a fantastic restoration, just beautiful in every sense. But, you know, it's clean and tidy and, and almost nude. Yep. In comparison to a to a mosquito, which has just got stuff everywhere and wires everywhere and radios and all sorts of junk in it, yep. that that um, makes it you know that much more interesting and intricate and yep. trailing aerials and winches and all, all sorts of stuff like that. You know the rockets obviously and you know eight machine guns. Well, you know eight, four machine guns and eight cans, four cannons. That all helps. You know, so it's so full of stuff that it's very kind of you know overwhelming when you see it yep. and uh, that helps you know to uh, wow them with with uh, you know the size of it and the complexity yep. so you know you end up getting extra points for that which is good yeah cool. yeah so yeah. was a uh, was a particularly successful trip for us and um, yeah so now we're back into working on the uh, Spitfire and the Hawk 75 we've got in the hangar at the moment and uh, who knows, maybe they'll end up at Oshkosh as well in the future and we might be able to uh, have another crack at some kind of trophy. Because they're both going to uh, US customers, aren't they? Yeah, yep. yeah so the, the Hawk 75 is going to Jerry Yagen out in uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, so great to be doing another job for him. Yep. And uh, the Spitfire's recently changed hands. It's going to uh, Sacramento, so on the west coast of the US. And uh, they... Owner of that airplane seems pretty keen to uh, take it to Oshkosh. So cool. yeah, yeah. Whether that'll be next year or the year after, we're not so sure at this stage. Still a few sort of balls in the air there, but yep. yeah, that's the idea. Excellent. Keep on going back to the show. Know the restaurants to go to now over there. <laughs> Shops. <laughs> um, and you've got uh, another mosquito project in the wings. Yeah. So you know. Uh, we could see that there was possibly a market for a mosquito in the UK because everybody that's got access to a computer can, tells you that there should be one in the UK. Yeah. All the fans over there, and hey, it does make sense. There should be one up there, or at least another one somewhere. Should be one in New Zealand too, considering what we've achieved down here. Yep. And Australia, of course, and Canada. So there's plenty of places where you would say more rightfully than the US there should be a mosquito. So. Glenn had another project within his uh, collection of stuff that we've bought off him, and uh, that's a Mark a B4, so the the sort of more pure mosquito, what the uh, what the prototype sort of more or less uh, indicated the airplane would be like. Um, so yeah, single stage engines, 
DZ542 is the registration of that one. Uh, so because they take so long to do, we decided that we'd borrow some money and have the fuselage built. So the fuselage is complete for that now. Um, and we're just going into building the horizontal. So we're working on getting the woodwork side of it sorted out, but we're sort of um, uh, slowed down a little bit because we need to find a customer for that one. So I'm actively sort of searching around the world for somebody other than an American, although I'd be happy to sell it to an American as well, yep. who might, might be prepared to um, get involved in a process like this. It takes three years. It's going to take three years from now yep. to complete it and you know, a fair chunk of cash, but... Um, yeah, so there's another one underway, Very cool. um, which uh, will be a bomber version. So we've got the glass nose, and um, that, that'll be different for us and interesting for whoever gets to ride in it. The opportunity to get down on your hands and knees and crawl forward and sit in the front there and peer out the nose while you roar along on a mosquito is going to be a fairly rewarding, <laughs> rewarding sort of an experience, I would imagine. Definitely. It's pretty neat being in there anyway, but. I know from going a ride in a Beach AT11 how cool it is to get down into the nose. and um, I can only imagine what it's like at a mosquito at the sort of speeds that you can zip along the ground and that. Yeah. It'd be pretty, be a pretty wild ride, I think. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I see you've got a um, another widgeon in there. Yeah, so um, we've got, I've got my own widgeon over in the corner there, AVM, but that, that's uh, pretty slow going. Uh, but we've got another one here, a, a, a G44, standard G44, serial number 15 actually, okay. um, uh, that's come in from Michigan for an Auckland guy. So yeah, we're um, we're rebuilding the centre section at the moment and putting that back together. Cool. Um, that may stay on the US register, that one. But uh, stay here. But yeah, but live here in Auckland, yeah. Right. Um, and he's got plans of uh, flying it around the harbour and putting it in the salt, so it's fairly brave of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something that we uh, we're enjoying doing, and uh, good uh, good to have another Grumman in the shop. Yeah, alongside my one, giving me a big boost of enthusiasm to get onto mine uh, and get it finished as well. So who knows? In the next few years, there'll be maybe a couple of widgeons flying around Auckland, which we've sadly been lacking for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good as well. Another job in the shop. And you've still, still got the Tony in the wings? Yeah, the Tony's, uh, we're, we're um, working on getting the engine sorted out for the Tony before we um, get, in, get into the restoration of the airframe. want to get the engine and propeller and radiator situation sol issues solved before spending any more money on the airframe. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're actively working on that side of things and the rest of it's just in storage waiting until we get the engine and propellers sorted out yeah. Um, yeah so that's another job that we'll get onto in the in the long run it's all go though you're pretty busy lots of stuff yeah no it's good it's good I mean you know you, did, you never know one year to the other what you're going to be doing unless you've got a mosquito of course which you know is going to run over a few years so yeah. but yeah as soon as we seem to have a bit of a gap in the hangar got filled up with something pretty quickly which yeah. is great great so yeah we've got 13 or 13 full-timers at the moment so yeah. yeah it's working working well that's good mm. and do you think uh, Rod Lewis will be sending another project across or? well he you know um, he did say that uh, he wanted to get something else down to us but uh, I think he's just kind of enjoying the mosquito at the moment and he's having some other fairly big jobs done in the States uh, so uh, you know he's probably he may have committed all his sort of uh, resources to to that but 
Um, yeah, I think in the fullness of time, he would like to see something else done by us. Cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, it's just a matter of having that conversation when the time's right, when yep. we've got space, and, and uh, do something else for him. Bit hard to know what, <laughs> he hasn't got many gaps in his collection, <laughs> but uh, we'll, well, I'm sure we can find something for him. Yeah, excellent. Well, congratulations once again on your um, on the mosquito for a start and for the the win at Oshkosh. It's fantastic. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, it is. No, it's very good. Very good. It's good to good to have another eleven sixteenths golden spanner in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Walt. Thanks. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.